Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. All right, Sharon, welcome back to the studio. Oh, my goodness, and it's such a rainy day. No place I'd rather be than in here with you, Jeremy. Well, it's such a wonderful place to be this time of year. Wait, I think we've got some other news, too, don't we? What? Aren't we in the top 100 of medical podcasts in the country now? We are. Yes, We are. Top 100 and consistently right now. Yes, and we're growing by about 30% a quarter. Yeah. It's amazing. We never thought it would be this, did we? Oh, no. (laughs) No, we didn't. But we're so happy. And I think it's because of all the fabulous guests that we have on the show. Industry leaders. Totally agree. We've got another great guest for today. We do. We have Miss Peggy Blankenship with us. Welcome, Peggy. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, Peggy, I know that um, I've known you for several years now, but I'm going to let you kind of do an introduction of yourself here in just a moment. But today's topic is going to be specifically geared towards state associations being able to create a successful collaboration with an association management company. I know that's a mouthful there. Oh, well, it's a huge topic and a very important topic. Absolutely. And Peggy is one of the best in the country at doing this. In fact, she's so good. Her and her company, owned by her and her sister, which is going to be a topic we'll talk about in a few minutes, which is interesting how siblings can work together. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But they actually are over two states, Ohio and Pennsylvania, which just happen to be two of the largest states of CRNA concentrations in the United States. So, Peggy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, sounds good. Thanks again for having me. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and make sure that we also cover the fact that as a firm, our firm, Accent on Management, manages both Ohio and Pennsylvania, and we also manage West Virginia and South Carolina, so I don't want those two states to be forgotten. No, definitely Um, not. I didn't know that. That's awesome. We do, yes. I don't work personally with those two associations. I have another one of my staff that works directly with them. but. In addition, in the rounding out the book of business, we also work closely with the Association of Veteran Affairs Nurse Anesthetists, so nice. Havana. Wow. So, um, but thank you again for having me. 
Uh, again, Peggy Blankenship, I'm with uh, co-owner of Accent on Management. We're an association management company. We've been in business for about 40 years, but earlier this year in 2019, my sister, Kate Brunswick, who's also been in the industry, and I took over the ownership. So I've been in association management since 2001 and uh, started here at the company at that time, worked my way up into a director role, and now, of course. And um, I see you're a certified association executive designation. Now, that's a very intense program that you have to go through for that. Am I correct? That is correct. It's a program that requires, uh, it took about six months of preparation for the exam itself. You have to have a certain number of hours as an association executive director of some sort working with professional associations, actually a certain number of years doing that. And then you follow up with education requirements, continuing education, very similar to what the CRNAs need, a certain, a certain amount every couple of years. And then an exam rounds it out, and, and that's how you become a certified association executive. There's about, at last number, there's about 4,000 of them in, uh, okay. nationwide. So not that's, a lot. That's, not, that's a lot. not a lot. Well, Peggy, tell us why this topic is so important. Well, overall, you know, one of the things that we see with associations is anymore they're being run similar to small businesses. And you know, in order to be effective in running, running the association, the volunteer board members, they're responsible for having the right tools in place and managing their association. So, you know, what we do at Accent on Management is come in and help facilitate boards, board of directors and their membership to, you know, having the right policies and procedures in place and basically making sure that their association is successful in what its mission and vision is. Well, you talked about basically their governing documents, bylaws, handbooks, policies, procedures. And I can remember before a lot of states had association management firms, and it was basically mom and pops and the president took care of everything, had all the files in a in a file box and whenever the next president come in they got that file box and you started from square one all over again with the next president so I've seen over the last 29 years that I've been within the organization such changes with these association management firms and really bringing us up to exactly what you just said but to those documents, I know that we should look at them very often, define very often, how often should these associations or do you prompt them to take a look at policies, bylaws, all of the different governing documents? So that's a really good question. And best practices will tell you that there are certain policies and procedures that boards should have in place. And the board of directors should be reviewing those annually. Um, so that's one for policy and procedures. We recommend that you, you go ahead and review that maybe for most associations, it's in the form of some type of handbook, mm-hmm. which is how your, you know, your operations manual and how you're going to basically conduct day-to-day business as an association. In terms of your overall governing document, which is called your bylaws, 
that we recommend is reviewed every couple of years. We sometimes caution associations if they're reviewing their bylaws every year, that's typically not something that's necessary. So sometimes it can be that your bylaws are almost too detailed and you need to take some of that out if you're reviewing them too often. Well, it sounds like communication is a big key to working with your association members and the association management. Would you like to elaborate a little bit about the communication piece of this? Absolutely, Sharon. It it is one of the most important things with working with an association management. Sometimes I'm asked, you know, how often do you expect me as, say, the board president or the board treasurer to interact with you? And my answer is always open and often. I want to make sure that the line of communication between my board and myself is open and that we're communicating on a very regular basis. And one of the reasons that that, I think, works well with associations is because Oftentimes, your leaders can use your association management staff as a sounding board or somewhere that they can bounce ideas off of. And if they're going to go down the path, say, of starting a new project, it's always good to have your staff's input to make sure that you have the resources in place to do something like that. So communication is key, and we we always like to have it open and and often. Well, I will tell you, whenever I was AANA president, Wanda Wilson and I, as well as my president-elect, Juan Quintana, we had a standing call every Tuesday, five o'clock with Wanda Wilson, the executive director. And we went over (laughs) things that may have happened during the week. And whenever I was state president, we we did have an association management firm way back then whenever I was state president. And we, we... did something very similar to that. So I I agree with you. That's very important. And you being the consistent piece of president, presidents, we come and go. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you're always there. <laughs> so you are the well, consistent that's, piece. That's something that can really help with that continuity that you were talking about earlier. You know, the client here, they don't have to pass around boxes from year to year and president to president. So I agree that really helps those conversations and that, um, that communication really helps with continuity from year to year as well. Hey Peggy, you've been around this industry for a long time and I'm sure you've seen a lot. And what are some of the, the most common and the biggest mistakes that you see associations making around the country? So I would say that one of the most common mistakes that I see in associations, and this isn't specific to the nurse anesthetist associations, but I would say is not orienting new board members. Hmm. I think that it can be very overwhelming for a board member, even if they've been serving on a committee, to come onto a board and start from the ground up. So I know that, for example, like the National uh, American Association of Nurse Anesthetists has now started these leadership academies and summits. And those are really, really helpful, I think, for first-time board members to attend. But if you're at the state level and you have your board turning over and you have new board members coming on, some type of board orientation is really important. We're to the point now where we're doing those sometimes online via a webinar and that works really well, especially with everyone's busy schedule. But that's one common mistake I see is that board members start on the board. They don't have a full understanding of the policies, procedures, and what their responsibilities are. And that's, um, 
it can really hurt. And it, it also keeps newer board members from being able to be brought up to speed on the board's goals and their issues. Yeah. Being able to engage. That makes sense. Are there resources exactly. out there that, you know, maybe we've got CRNAs out there who are, you know, on a state association board and they're looking for resources to be able to onboard new board members. Are there things that you guys might use or recommend that, that they look into? If they're a state association that does not have professional management, I would suggest they reach out to the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists. Uh, Louis Rivera is great at the AANA, and he can help facilitate state associations to finding, you know, they keep templates and documents on file that they can then help those state associations with. But the American Society of Association Executives is a professional association for people that do what I do. And that is also another great resource for state and national organizations. Okay. And just part of that too, because we're seeing so much of this around the country, social media, you know, do you guys help state associations Mm -hmm. deal with some of these issues? I mean, you know, we see it on a lot of these Facebook groups and, you know, one CRNA will say something and then they'll get back at each other. And do you help them deal with those issues? Because it seems to be a huge issue for every board out there these days. How do you deal with that in your own organization? We are starting to see some of that. And we do help facilitate the associations with their communications. Okay. Uh, specifically with social media and their website. The closed group pages are a little bit more difficult because people tend to speak a little bit more freely in those closed groups. But I guess my recommendation for state associations and their public social media sites is to adopt some type of social media policy. Do you classify yourself as an executive director of these associations, Peggy? I know in North Carolina, she is classified as such. Yes. In Ohio, I am. It it really depends on the association and what their request is. Right. Because I don't think some of them really function as executive directors, but that's what we, that's just our nomenclature that we have within our context, I guess. But why would people want to use an association management firm? I mean, I know the answer. (laughs) I know what it looks like without it. So I know the answer. But what's your answer to that, Peggy? (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, oftentimes associations contract with a firm, number one, to save money. You know, they'll save money on overhead costs if you have bargaining power under you with a company that manages, say, 25 different associations rather than just a standalone group Mm -hmm. trying to work on one association. But not only the money saver, but I think the benefit that associations could get from the collaboration piece that you get with a firm. So, for example, at Exxon Management, we, on a monthly basis, we hold, like, roundtable sessions called What's Working, What's Not. Mm -hmm. And that's where every executive director comes in and brings an idea that's working well for a client and one that they need help on. And it's just, it has turned into this great idea sharing session and ultimately results in people, you know, walking away with a new approach to a potential problem that they have and and ideally a solution. So I think the collaboration piece of what you can get with going with a firm that does this 
as their business is really beneficial to associations. Well, I know our association management firm that we had back whenever I was state president, she managed, let's see, 12 associations in three licensing boards. And they weren't all in healthcare, which was hugely beneficial to us because we could learn through her about other great practices within other fields mm, instead of yeah. just navel gazing at our own practice. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> actually, I got that from my advisor at Yale. That's what she calls it, <laughs> which I love it. But it was very helpful. And her contacts were amazing because she worked with all of these associations. She worked with some bankers. I don't remember the exact association. So we wound up going with uh, some business management stuff with them. And it just, it enlarges your reach. Right, right. Your reach, absolutely. And that's, that's, but I I love this, what works, what doesn't work. So you bring all the different divisions together and do that. So that's a great idea. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've walked away from that meeting with many new ideas and new ideas from association executives that might have been, you know, may have been doing this for 15 years or may have been doing it for three. Right. Because although associations are kind of all working towards the same thing and all working as their own entity, there's a lot of overlap sometimes right. of what mm-hmm. organizations are doing. Well, right. it sounds like there's a lot of cross-pollination going on, which is never a bad thing. No, no. And I think, you know, Peggy, to your advantage is that, you know, you've worked with several CRNA organizations and I'm sure other organizations, but, you know, I've found that the more you can specialize, the better off you are. I mean, not only personality wise and understanding the industry and understanding what's important to this group. And I think that's a, a really good advantage for someone in your spot to have. It really is. And um, we've, you know, we've enjoyed working with the um, nurse anesthetist associations. It's really nice when you're onboarding a new state association and you already know the big picture challenges mm-hmm. um, that CRNAs face. And although every state and regulatory board and legislature does act a little different from time to time, it's nice to, um, it's nice to just be able to kind of hit the ground running and helping these associations improve their processes and procedures right from the start. Well, Peggy, I, I would think that there, there are people out there, you know, as in our industry that we just really don't want to work with personalities mm-hmm. or other reasonings behind that. Are there particular clients out there that might not fit with, with your group? Absolutely. Yes. Um, I would say similar to kind of your lobbying firm, there are association clients out there right now where it would be a conflict of interest for us to work with them. Needless to say, I don't get very many calls from the state societies of the anesthesiologists. Uh, they're not <laughs> can't really imagine that. knocking down my <laughs> door to manage them. But, you know, it's one thing I will say, Jeremy, that if an association is looking for professional management or new management, it's good for them to do a little homework on the firm that they're going to potentially contract with. And one of the ways you can do that, it, you know, is by looking at the client list 
And many Good times point. you'll find the client list on the association management firm's website. I mean, I would think that if an, there's a state association out there that is looking at a client list and they can see that there's potentially going to be a conflict with their industry, then that's a assigned to maybe move on. Well, that brings up a good point too. You know, we, we've got a lot of listeners that listen to the show and, you know, how do you pick an association or how should you pick an association management company? What are the qualities? What things should you be looking for? What should you avoid? And I'm sure you guys know this because hopefully that's part of your sales pitch, you know, when you go in and, and try to get them to use you. Yeah, I think that a, a lot of your partnership with a new association management company is going to be, it's, it's going to come down to how it feels. So, you know, every association management company, if they're offering full service association management, they'll offer services like financial management and meetings and events and communication management and so on and so forth. But I think that boards should, when they're considering a new firm, they, they should look at client lists. They should look at maybe even the amount of clients and the amount of staff. If an association firm has multiple, multiple clients, but not as much staff to take on the work, it might be a telltale sign that maybe you're not going to get as great a service as if it's more of an equal match between staff and, and client service. Our model at Accent on Management is different a little bit than some of the other companies in that we have an association executive that manages all facets of the association and then an executive assistant who works with him or her to do that rather than having different departments where you have three or four or five different individuals that might work directly with a board of directors. So how many, let's say you've got one person that's at your firm, how many associations would they manage? Is that based on the sizes of the associations or... It is. It's based on the level of service that the association has asked for. Okay. So a good rule of thumb is every individual, um, an association executive manages two to three associations. Okay. Mm, okay. Because I know that we've had some varying levels of service within our state at some times, and they seem to have overloaded the person that was assigned to us. And then... You know, we didn't change our level of service, but our level of service was changed that we received. <laughs> How is that? Gotcha. <laughs> that and that that is hard, and it's something you know. As a co-owner of our company, it's something that I struggle with sometimes here at Accent on Management. Obviously, we want the best service for all of our clients that we manage, but we do find from time to time our work is seasonal. Sure. So, you know, maybe 50% of what you do for a client is their meeting and events. Well, most clients have spring conferences and then they have fall conferences. And so you'll find that maybe you're ramping up in the spring and you're getting very, very busy and then it kind of slows down in the summer. And then again, you're up in the fall. And then at this time of year, you're, um, you're starting to slow down again. So we try and recognize that. And that's when we pull in additional help for our directors and our assistants if we see that they're, you know, that the work is, is increasing. So Peggy, how did you and your sister come to this industry together? That's just so interesting. Mm -hmm. So actually my sister came to the industry first. She worked for an association management and 
she is older than I oh, am. Oh, I was waiting for that one. <laughs> we we won't tell her you side, said that. We'll say I'm the older, but um, <laughs> I just good, good save there, Peggy. Good save. <laughs> she actually started with an association management firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, so, nice. What was that? What that at the time it was. I put you on the spot, didn't I? You asked me too quick. They have since, the owner has since retired. So Mm. I know the firm's not there any longer. Okay. But so she started there and then, and we were both obviously born here in, um, in a small town north of Columbus. And so she moved back to Columbus a couple of years after she had started in the industry and began working here at Accent on Management. And then upon graduating from the Ohio State University, I started here. I actually started as her assistant, and that lasted um, that lasted two days. Four or five days. <laughs> 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 um, yes. Now that was not that was not going to work for me. So, uh, <laughs> but Peggy, you seem so passive to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get back to this question about the firms and how are they evaluated? Do you encourage your clients yes. to evaluate you? I would assume you need to evaluate your client too. How does that work? We do. We do both. We encourage our clients to evaluate our staff and our firm as a whole. I mean, we know, you know, that the only way that you're going to approve is to work on what your faults are. And that's what, you know, we, we want our clients to be honest with us and to let us know what there is that we can improve on. And we also evaluate our clients. We do that every, every couple of years. Do they get to see their evaluations or is that internal? (laughs) That well, it's, (laughs) it's communicated (laughs) with the leadership, with the board of directors. Mm -hmm. But then in terms of valuation, I think one of the things that we're finding that we're seeing is the, in, in the industry is that board self-evaluation is also very important. Oh, absolutely. So, um, and I don't know, Sharon, if you did this at the national level, but where boards internally evaluate themselves and, and, and each what other. they know and, mm-hmm. and each other. And we see this. It's something that I don't do every year with my boards of directors, but when I do it, it really does kind of help the board improve upon themselves and look to the future. What is it? 360s, isn't that what they call them? Yeah. 360 Mm -hmm. evaluations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Peggy, this has been great, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will get a lot of good information out of this from you. And is there anything that you want to kind of conclude with as uh, we wrap this up today? Well, I'll say, you know, one of the things that our staff here struggles with from time to time is not being the expert in the profession. So I guess when associations are looking for management or at association management companies, you know, just remember that as the nurse anesthetist or as the architect or um, as the government finance officer, you are the expert in that field. That is your profession and your passion. And just, you know, look for a firm or a director that is an expert in our field, which is association management. And I think if you, capitalize on that expertise, both can collaborate to build 
a much more stronger and effective association. I think that's great. That's great. And again, to to say something about Lewis, if you're looking for RFPs, if you're looking for a new association management firm, evaluations, all of those documents, they are housed within the AANA if you don't have such documents. And I'm sure that Peggy's provided samples to Lewis that, that they use too. And so if you are um, a state leader and need some of those things, AANA has them. Yeah. Or Peggy, I'm sure you would be a resource for other folks as well if they wanted to reach out to you and, and maybe ask a question and be respectful of your time, obviously. But, you know, I'm sure you can uh, help guide them in the right direction as well. Always happy to do that. Yes. And right. you guys do a great job. I've spoken at several of the state associations. I think you spoke to all the four, you know, that I she mentioned so. and probably. I don't think I've been to Ohio in a long yeah. time. Oh, no, okay. I don't. I, I never have been to the Ohio meeting. Really? No, that's I one think of the. That's no, a hint. But, that might be yeah, a hint there. That's one of the. Huh. Maybe we I've need to come out there. I've even spoken at the Ohio meeting, Sharon. Well, maybe they'll Look, come out there and let us do a live <laughs> podcast the way we did at NCA and A meeting. Go. But no, go. I've spoken at Pennsylvania numerous times, South Carolina. You go to West Virginia every year. I am. Yeah. I am a staple at West Virginia. <laughs> you and Pierce both, right? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's a wrap. Peggy, we want to thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and make sure and leave us a review, but only if it's a positive. Yes. And very good. (laughs) Until next time. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. 
Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.